0: In this episode, I'm joined by Pepita Heselberth and Joost de Blues to discuss their co-edited book, Politics of Withdrawal, Media Arts Theory. I'd like to say a big thank you to all my paid patrons and subscribers for making all of this work possible. And if you'd like to support the podcast or gain access to some exclusive content, please find links in the description below. Otherwise, please enjoy. Okay, so... Papita Hasselberth and Jost de Blois. Thanks very much for joining us on hermetics Podcast. Uh, we are going to be discussing a book which uh, you both co-edited in 2020, uh, Politics of Withdrawal Media Arts Theory, uh, which was published by Roman and Littlefield. And this is a book, as people might imagine from the title, to do with uh, withdrawal, with exit, with strike, with radical notions of... Leaving behind or the possibility whether or not it's actually possible to retreat from uh, certain structures we've made primarily focusing on academia. And this is um, a pretty big subject of the day of what the future of academia is really going to look like. And that in itself is defining what we mean when we say academia because it's quite a loose term. Um, but yeah, before we jump in with the book, I mean, just tell us a little bit about yourselves and how how this uh, fairly unique book came about
1: about ourselves <laughs> I'm, uh, Peter I'm, I'm a media scholar by background um let me i I'll probably get around to myself while talking about the book because it's so entrenched with our own research and uh, the same goes for yours, i suppose uh th- first of all thanks for having us we're uh delighted to be here um the book came out of a small conference we organized uh on disconnection with drawn copenhagen in 2018 and but it really has its roots in our own research in my case um Again, I'm a media scholar, so I worked on a project called "Disconnectivity in the Digital Age" uh, at the University of Copenhagen. Between 15 and 18, uh, and I really, my aim really there was to develop a conceptual framework for understanding the cultural and social political implications of voluntary diff- disconnectivity. There was a lot of talk about involuntary disconnectivity. Uh, but I was interested in people voluntarily disconnecting from media use. Um, but more interested perhaps more broadly in the kind of psychic, socioeconomic and political withdrawal from mainstream, mainstream forms of connectivity. Um. Uh, I was kind of intrigued also by kind of the surge of people leaving Facebook at the time, right? It's abandoning their iPhones, going on mindfulness retreats, resigning, uh, searching for alternative modes of living. Uh, myself included, I suppose. <laughs> um, but I felt helped by the debates in media studies, um, which are mostly on media avoidance, media refusal. Which, which was the point where I started to work together with uh, Yoast. Um, is much more interested in political theory and withdrawal uh, throughout his his, his writings. Um, and what I realized was that despite all of the the public expressions um, of ex- of exiting and withdrawing, uh, what what started to matter most for me was the it was the gesture of withdrawing, uh, it, even if it was publicly addressed. Is it, it's not necessarily what withdraw the gesture of withdrawing doesn't necessarily take on the form of language or expression it can also transpire in in, you know in silence uh an experiment in action in the kind of um, different kinds of of presence that are generated alternative ways of being with uh, other people being in society um however momentarily right
2: yeah, so, so my name is uh, Joost Boulou, so I teach cultural analysis at the University of uh, of Amsterdam, which is basically like a local variant of, of cultural studies. Uh, I have a background in in philosophy and, uh, and and literary studies, and I originally had an interest and still have an interest in, uh, I guess you could call it anti-economic thought. So I did my PhD on the notion of general economy in Georges Bataille mm. and, and Jacques Derrida. Uh, and I, I, I sort of retained this interest in theories of expenditure, uh, destitution. So from Bataille to Klosowski to, to Agamben. And uh, about 10 years ago, when everyone got interested in sort of autonomous, Italian autonomism, I also jumped on that bag- bandwagon. And I saw a lot of similarities between sort of the battalion notions of expenditure and Italian refusal of labor, anti-work, uh, et cetera. And that combined well with another longstanding interest of mine, which is uh, situationism. So the, the French sort of post-war avant-garde. So a lot of these things come together, I think, in the notion of uh, of withdrawal as a refusal basically of, uh, of, of the economy.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you, um, are either of you, do you, do you sympathize personally with academic withdrawal?
1: Yes, I do. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I think yes as well. And that's always the question, do we withdraw from the university or within the university? We'll, we'll get to talk about this, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a good, yeah, that's a, it's, it's a, A tough line, tough line to walk. But uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get to that uh, difficult question. But before we do so, I have to ask you both the Hamidix question, which I've reduced down. It's usually three. But if you could both place two thinkers, living or dead, into a room and then listen in on the the conversation then of this four. So I think you said you've scripted this together. So um, perhaps there is some coherence. But uh, who are these? (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Who are these two and two who are entering into this room?
2: I mean, it would it would be fascinating to have all four of them, <laughs> I guess, uh, uh, have, a, have a conversation. Um, but no, I mean, the two that I came up with uh, almost immediately, right, were uh, uh, two, two radical thinkers, so Pier Paolo Pasolini on the one hand, uh, and Guy Debord on the other hand, because it it seems to me that we kind of live in a world that they that they predicted. So Pasolini speaks of the uh, the anarchy of power, uh, which he relates to like the absolute sovereignty of of, of capital. He even speaks of an anthropological mutation that came about through uh, through consumerism, and both speak, I think, very much about I guess what you could call the disappearance of lived experience in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were both, I think, engaged in forms of withdrawal in their in their own way. So both, I mean, interestingly, I think moved away from more traditional forms of uh, of of marxist thinking so they both started out as marxist and then moved into something quite different i think although De Boer, for example never really negated his uh, his his marxism um but they were both interested i think in new alternatives to uh, say capitalism in terms of new forms of of life new forms of uh, of 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 living um and what I also think is really really interesting, or what I would like to know right uh if if I could speak to them in a sense, is where they would situate themselves politically at the moment because it seems to me that both of them in the nineteen seventies um and Pasolini of course unfortunately right was died or was assassinated in in, in seventy five but the Boers certainly uh in the nineteen seventies made a kind of radical turn, I think, in his in his thinking, but also in his activism. So he literally literally withdrew into the French countryside, um, you know, started to write autobiographical texts and basically proposed his, I don't know, sense of grand living, this form of like grand living as the alternative to uh, to capitalism, which has a also has a certain conservative side to it as well. I mean for the Bora right, the alternative to, to contemporary Uh, You know, consumerist living or like, you know, highly technological living would be to hark back to the Baroque you know he, he started to translate Spanish poetry in uh, what have you got and I think that's really interesting so where 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 would they have ended up in a sense and also in Pasolini right there is this sort of romanticization of popular culture uh, even a kind of like eroticization of, of popular culture And I think it's really interesting to see if they would have ended up in this I don't know expanding gray zone that we see today somewhere in between the traditional left and the say the traditional more conservative uh, right I think that would be a fascinating uh, conversation. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Pepita, who who is now entering this room, I know you didn't form <laughs> this as a four, um, but
1: uh, uh, Tignatan, a Buddhist monk, and uh, Lauren Berland, a radical feminist cultural theorist. <laughs> I think I'm more opportunistic in assembling my table. I think uh, both would have challenged my own thinking for uh, most, <laughs> uh, because their thinking is so differently from mine, uh, and they've inspired me greatly throughout this project. So. Mm-hmm. I pr- probably think they would, would, wouldn't would say so much. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we never know.
0: There's something, there's something, I think maybe there is a thread there, I mean, with respect to, I'll try to draw it out, and mm. it might be a complete failure, but Pasolini and Thich Nhat Hanh, I mean, with respect to the idea of being present, you know, mm. just just to be present, um, I think famously, of course, with Pasolini of 120 days of Salo and the fact mm-hmm. that the the, the despite the uh the visceral horrors of that film the the thing i think the reason it sticks with so many people is it's filmed in such a way that it's like excessively banal it's just horribly mundane and you just want Mm -hmm. it you want it over not because of the horror but because it's like this is just this is sort of almost hyper boring um how have you made such horrible things just like a family holiday film, badly filmed mm-hmm. or something like that. So th- with respect to, I guess, to Pasolini, the idea of trying to withdraw from that sense of the world with no, it has no like shocks anymore, that it's become this like flatline. And I guess with Thich Nhat Hanh, it's like, well, you need to be present within that, within that moment. So maybe there'd be a question there of, to what is it to be present within a time mm-hmm. that just never seems seems to change?
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. Mm, okay. Well, I guess the big the big question then with these, I mean, we'll probably draw in these thinkers, but I mean, mm. what is it to withdraw? What does withdrawal mean?
1: And the book is called Politics of Withdrawal, and really the starting was point was. Um These these increased phenomena of withdrawal as uh, in contemporary society and in political theory. So there's, there's a resonance between what we now call the quiet quitters, between a leaving academia debate, between digital detoxes and more explicit, uh, more explicitly, um, political takes on withdrawal and political gestures, such as the, uh, the Zad. um, French movement, the far right and far left rejections of modernity, the theories of refusal, exodus and desertion, inoperativity and and sabotage these are terms that are recurring political theory but also all sorts of populist as well as um, you know, Silicon Valley discourses on and, and politics such as Brexit, Elon Musk who goes to Mars, right And we're wondering if there's a common denominator to all of these things and whether that common denominator would be considered can be could be considered political in short, we define withdrawal as a form of political disengagement or a politics through disengagement, which is much of a paradox, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's not to say right that, that withdrawal is always purely negative. So, I mean, there is there is obviously an element of refusal of, of breaking away, as you as you also said in your introduction, but it doesn't remain within that uh, within that moment. Uh, um, I'd, I'd say so. I, I think what was important for us is that withdrawal always seems to tap into potential so it's in that sense it's not a political program so there is no clear goal Um, but it's more of a it's more of a gesture that opens up uh, political potential or personal potential right Um, so in that sense it's not a political program it's also not necessarily it doesn't always necessarily proceed from say a a clear-cut decision not always res- rooted in some kind of, of will. I mean, often we withdraw because we can no longer bear the current situation. It's more a matter of what, what Roland Barthes calls uh, wariness. So we're wary of the current situation. We're oversaturated uh, with uh, whatever, with the pressures of academia, uh, for example. And that's why we quit. That's why we uh, withdraw. So in that sense, uh, it's it's political in a sense that it's a refusal of the status quo in search of a new life in 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 search of a new form of life collective or or personal but it's not say uh you know grand politics it's not the politics of confrontation so to speak um i think this was also important for us we, we went to look for thinkers that helped us to conceptualize politics not in terms of of struggle or or pure opposition uh so to speak um but in that sense right it's the lines between, in in withdrawal, the lines between, say, the political and the non-political, so the social, the cultural, even the the, the personal, even the religious, so to speak, are often uh, are often blurred. Um, you know, to withdraw from whatever academia can be a personal choice to, um, you know, to preserve your mental health, uh, for example, or your ethical standards. But it's also a political gesture at the same time, because it's also a kind of refusal of the, of, of the current system. So I think that, that in that sense withdrawal but in that sense i think withdrawal is also uh, also fits the contemporary moment where politics as this sort of separate domain so to speak with its own institutions and its own rituals etc you know parliament you name it uh, is also beginning to blur in that sense uh, and overlaps more and more with i don't know ethical questions religious questions purely economic questions etc so i think in that sense that 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 With withdrawal, we can also understand this, you know, like expanding of the domain of uh, of, of of politics uh, into, you know, figures like the the cabin or the shelter, for example. Perhaps up to the point when where it is no longer uh, politics, so to uh, so to say.
0: Do you think that's one of the difficulties of withdrawal? Is that what we what people are collectively, individually, but collectively withdrawing from? There's this atmosphere of withdrawal is the problem that you can't we can't really define uh what exactly it is that we're exiting from we can't say well i'm leaving a feudalist state i'm leaving i'm seceding from the monarchy or something like that that everything's so loose that it's quite difficult to withdraw because you can't exactly pinpoint what it is that's uh stressful upsetting annoying oppressive it's quite difficult to but do you think there is a thread between all these different types of withdrawal the same sort of atmosphere that people are saying we've had enough of
1: i think it's really important actually to, to, what would you say and um, We've had, we've just did, did a class on, on withdrawal the politics of withdrawal. And, and some of the students got really confused by this. Okay. What are we withdrawing from? Because I'm, if I'm withdrawing from, uh, say, um, um, media use to be more connected to my daily environment, then there, it's a form of connecting as well instead of just disconnecting. So, but it's, it's very important to, to be very specific on, I, I think actually it's, it's important to, to specify what you desire to disconnect from or withdraw from. Uh, And it can be very different things. But I think the common denominator is that it's the the gesture is the same. And the gesture is the political movement. It's like, ah, I've had enough. This is, I want to, move away from this or get get rid of this in my life or um so so it's the gesture even if it, it it's not acted upon even if it's not um, if it's impossible to actually stop using um phones or completely withdraw into nature, which is of course is also a romanticized idea of what culture and nature can be. <laughs> um, but the gesture itself is the political movement. so whatever it is that you're withdrawing from or seek to withdraw withdraw from,
2: your yes, would you agree yeah and i, I also think that so I, I totally agree with, with peter I that the emphasis is very much on the yeah on on the gestures so the moment itself of withdrawal the moment of, uh, of, of the breaking away uh, so to speak but I think there there might also be a common denominator uh in terms of from what we uh, are are withdrawing um i, I think that Withdrawal, in that sense, is is specifically, I don't know, like a contemporary or a late modern um, uh, phenomenon. So, in the introduction to the book, we we do uh, refer to to Roland Barthes and Foucault, who give, say, historical examples of uh, of withdrawal. So, uh, you know, Foucault speaks in, in his text on, on, on Parisia, on speaking truth to power. He speaks of the otium uh, of uh, you know of the of the Roman emperors who withdraw to their villas in the hills, you know, above Rome. To reflect on their position in life and uh, politics, etc. So that's an early form mm-hmm. of, of withdrawal. And Bart is really interested uh, in the more religious forms of withdrawal, so mm-hmm. uh, Assisi's and anacoreas, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that in in the book, the examples uh, used are almost all of them are sort of like late late modern examples. And I think that that has to do a lot with the fact that. Um, I think it has to do with what the Italian autonomists would call, like, real subsumption, right? The fact that every aspect of modern life is mobilized in the service of capital, so to speak um and there's many ways right of 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 withdrawing from that so this can be a kind of i don't like like romantic uh refusal it can be a sort of you know marxist autonomous refusal of labor or claiming the right to laziness uh for example but it can also be you know uh, ditching your ditching your smartphone or you know signing up for a yoga retreat uh etc um and the environmental movement right i think is also uh is also a good example of this of trying to withdraw from this sort of like mobilization uh, also of natural resources right in the service of uh, of of capital so in that sense it's a kind of response i would say to some form or other of being Always available of being, uh, you know, turned into a resource. Also as a human, uh, as a human subject. So I think it is it is quite closely related to contemporary forms of, uh, of 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 labor. In that sense, and also the say contemporary atomization of labor, in which we're all supposed to be these you know competitors, competing against one another, but also supposed to be uh, I don't know like self entrepreneurs. Which can lead to both, you know, like self-optimization and self Uh and I think a lot of these phenomena of, of of withdrawal are kind of responses uh, to that. And yeah, if you if you look at figures like um, um, Pascal Chabot, for example, a Belgian philosopher who wrote a book called Global Burnout, or Bhutan Chulhan on uh, on the Burnout Society, um, I think they, they they see burnout, which we very much look at in terms of of, of withdrawal uh, as a form of of resistance against what han would call the performance uh society or jonathan query speaks of like a, you know 24 7 um uh capital i mean this doesn't mean i, I think that withdrawal by definition would be um, you know anti-capitalist or anti-modern even. I mean it can be. So there are figures uh, like Paul Kingsnort, for example, who I think was also on your on, on your show, who kind of move into this direction of uh anti-modernity, anti-technology, you know, harking back to uh whatever figures like Jacques Ellul, uh for example. And there's a little bit of that in in people like thinkers like Bernard Stiegler, who's in her book uh, uh, as well, and again the environmental movement, I think also you know tends towards the sort of more anti-technological anti-modern uh, side of things. Um, but I think there's also there's there's all I mean but it doesn't have to be, I think it can also be this moment again, this sort of gesture of of rupture, to I don't know recalibrate a relation with with modernity or uh, or with technology for example.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean it, it brings uh, brings about one of the sort of the key problems I guess of with, withdrawal in general, especially within a within a capitalist world. You mentioned there everyone you know everything in service of capital capital and capitalism basically being this infinitely malleable thing which if if you don't keep your eye on it will take. Take whatever it wants under its own name. Um, and I think, you know, to draw in someone like Deleuze who says anti-production is also production. Next thing you know, you're sort of caught up back in the machine. And I think, you know, of, of movements such as like the van dwelling movement who now film their ongoings and put it on YouTube mm-hmm. to sort of monetize mm-hmm. it. And next thing you know, it's become a, a lifestyle. And now you've sort of lost mm-hmm. the, the, the kernel of what really was there altogether. So do you, uh, in, in that sense, um, it seems that what we're withdrawing, many of the quote-unquote institutions that we're withdrawing from, are almost like gaslighting us into narcissism. You know, you bring in narcissism as well, and the narcissism of academia, but almost like lying to us in the sense of this this false sense of security. So, in that sense, do you do you think withdrawal, basically, once again to draw in has to become nomadic? Like, you, once you do it, you can't really stop. Because you'll 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 get caught in a uh, cap, <laughs> capitalism will catch you out.
2: Yeah, that's I mean that's a very good question. Um, I think, but but it's also I mean we also had this discussion in the class we were teaching with our with, with our students. Um, in in principle right anything can be appropriated, right So any anything I mean, as you said, like the the like the genius of capitalism is that it that it's infinitely malleable and that it can it can turn anything into its opposite, right It can turn anything into gold or into anything can be uh, can be monetized. That's not necessarily a reason to not try, right <laughs> um but also I think there's also I think maybe an intellectual element to to that argument. It's also a kind of I don't know like gotcha argument that you can also apply like indefinitely in 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 a sense and i think that withdrawal is at least an attempt to sort of also move away from from that argument in a way to 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 at least explore or experiment with alternatives even momentarily but I think it's an interesting thought, right? That withdrawal is once you engage in withdrawal, you never stop to to uh, to to withdraw. Like you, you cannot remain indefinitely, in that sense. In uh, I don't know, in into the cabin that you withdraw uh, into, right? Or maybe that's a question. I don't know.
1: I think it's always for me. I think it has also affected the way I I do academia because I also felt kind of disappointed by um, radical left theory that always ends up with "haha," but capitalism has caught caught up with your radical idea. Uh, so so my writing has gone more and more um, not necessarily anti theoretical, but I, I people would call it empiricist. I don't know. I write more about. Experiment, experiential <laughs> uh, uh, domain um, where where um, yeah, I suppose withdrawal can be yeah, even a yoga retreat that is fully commercialized and fully taps into the logic of productivity and becoming a better laborer uh, can be a genuine experience for someone and someone can get something out of it that does change something in their lives. And I think there's always a double bind. It's always the paradox um, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But capitalism will catch up on us. Um, mm. but, um,
0: but that's, but that's you know, sort of the the now steadily becoming extremely famous capitalist realism by Mark Fisher. I mean, there's mm. pretty clear limits to that book in terms of, well, okay, but I've still got to live. <laughs> and,
1: mm-hmm. exactly. and,
0: and you both seem, um, very fairly optimistic about this whole thing that there is these possibilities. So, maybe a question would be, like, how it's a pretty elusive question and I apologize because I know I'm going off script and I know you've mm-hmm. put these answers, but how would you, um, how would you define a successful withdrawal? What does that look like?
1: I, I think it's really starts with the, the, the okay. So when I started doing my research and, and I, 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 you know, I got rid of my phone and, and I've done, done all these kinds of things. And I have one again because I couldn't <laughs> travel, but um, um, I, 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 my, it's i think it was my parents who told me but you know i i know no one who's so connected as you are um because you're c- always obsessed with disconnecting so i think it become it starts with the the becoming aware of the desire to withdraw from something that is not healthy for you that is unwholesome uh, and and the awareness that that moment of awareness that's for me that's it it's that, that that tipping point of becoming aware that something is unwholesome and regardless of what you do with it
0: would you say academia has become un- unwholesome? Yes.
1: <laughs> uh, a very clear answer on that one. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I, I, I think there are there are different ways of withdrawing in that sense from, from, from academia, right? So I, mm. I agree that... Uh there is something very similar you know between whatever Pepita's relation with a smartphone and our collective relation to <laughs> to the institution of the university yeah. but I think we we can maybe deal with it in 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 similar ways right I mean part of it is to is to become aware of how unwholesome as you said uh that 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 relation is I think to become aware of that is is already is already an important step to sort of to no longer buy into uh in, in into the narrative so to, um, uh, so to so to say um i, I think what is imp- i mean i think withdrawal has a lot to do with sort of delegitimizing things so you withdraw because you can no longer accept the status quo because your i don't know your own values no longer align with the values of the institution mm-hmm. so there is an aspect of like delegitimizing sorry delegitimizing um uh, whatever you whatever it is that you withdraw from and i think that is important also in relation to uh, to the university that it is important to to no longer sort of continue to collectively legitimize the current uh you know the current practices within uh within academia and, and we still do that massively partly because of the narcissism that you uh that you mentioned because we are so invested you know like not just intellectually but also like libidinally if you like like subjectively uh into uh, uh, into the institution mm-hmm. so i think maybe a starting point for a successful <laughs> withdrawal uh is not so much like literally slamming the door behind you and you know looking for a for for a new job but to to start with this kind of awareness, and also I think, yes, yeah, stepping away from this you know, dominant narrative, perhaps also stepping away from the dominant, you know, subjectivity that comes with being uh, an academic.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the status quo there, because in in, in withdrawing from the status quo, do you, do you feel that it's um, the status quo that you've withdrawn from? is the force which makes you feel like you need to then quickly fill that space and define the values. Whereas withdrawal itself on an individual or as a collective level, you shouldn't really feel this need if you leave the status quo to immediately have some sort of new value system that it's fine to be in some elusive space. And that's probably what's holding a lot of people back is they just fall from camp to camp in sort of a ongoing mimesis or something like that.
1: Mm This is a good observation. <laughs> very little to add there. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, there is, of course, on the one hand, um, you know, there's an economic need to fill the gap. So in, in that sense, very few people can actually afford to remain in, in limbo uh, in that sense. But you're absolutely right in saying that, uh, and this especially, I think, applies to academics you know, leaving. I mean, this is, of course, Peter's area more than mine, but I think this especially applies to academics uh, leaving uh, leaving the institution, that they feel genuinely lost because they Mm -hmm. are so invested Mm -hmm. uh, in their in their academic life and they do feel the need to uh, yeah to either continue by different means uh, or to fill that gap uh, immediately Uh, but ideally yeah i'd say that um, withdrawal is a kind of like prolonged interruption it is a suspension Um, Mm -hmm. so in that sense there is no need to immediately fill the gap but you're absolutely right that we are under a lot of pressure to do exactly that
0: Mm -hmm. Well, just before I move to the question about sort of the the, the people who believe they truly have or did withdraw, um, I would be interested just to get your answers of why you think, why the reasons as to why you believe so many academics are withdrawing from academia.
1: I think, you know, so, so there's, there's two sides to this. There's, there's the, the, the public debate. I think academics are, are trained to express themselves. So there's a lots of uh, open resignation letters and so on. There are also many who leave other kinds of jobs. It's just that academics write more about it, perhaps, you know, and, and feel more, you know, are more, um, entrenched kind of in, the, in the academic or the kind of political debates and make it, turn it into are aware of the, the, the political gesture that it is. Um, but as you probably know, like Harvey and Moton, also quite firmly criticised the university, and they're on, on the Commons. Kind of, they, they I think they they suggest is that there's a strong kinship between, say, the university and other kinds of structures of law and order. Uh, they, they, they they kind of argue that they're in the same war of life of social life. Um, um, so basically, they suggest that that universities, like any other structure of law and order. Um, are there to extract what it can and uh discard what it doesn't need right um but but uh, they also criticize the critical the critical academic <laughs> They say that you know that those who are against the university, they they merely affirm it. So even the leaving academia, uh, the one those who leave academia, I've read through all most of it in SSOSt. Uh, the leaving academia debate, um, um, it's it's very affirmative of what the university could be or should be. Or um, so so there's a lot of loathing that happens openly, uh, and and to to larger to a large extent, it also affirms. Mm-hmm um what the, what the institution stands for uh but th- there's also those who don't who leave without a bang those who leave silently i'm i'm intrigued and also those who don't leave because you know what uh, it, it, it's it, sometimes it's really strange when you read through I, i've read through them and i got you know reading even reading the leaving academy articles I, i'm sometimes get really stressed out uh because because of their call to action right there's always this call to action we should really change just, you know, change things. Uh, it should be abandoned. We should um, destroy it, or what, what have you? And and it's kind of it, it is a kind of invigoration that 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 is triggered in in leaving or in the call to leave. Um, there's something strange to it because if the only logical conclusion to the mounting concerns over labour precarity in academia or elsewhere is to resign or else become complacent, complacent, right, to a system that doesn't work anymore, then we're trapped in a in a double bind, um, because you you leave one precarious position to become precarious in another way, <laughs> right? Um, and I've often wondered. I think for me that uh, there's a there's a piece of me in in the in the in the volume on on um, on leaving academia, and my my really my interest there was um, I really wondered what what a less precarious take on a need to take refuge or withdraw from from or in academia might entail. Other st- other than say. Speaking out by quitting, which still boils down to depriving oneself of one's source and often joy of livelihood. Um, and and I think also we shouldn't forget that many of us chose to work in the university also to escape from the status quo, to to enter a safe space for thinking radical thoughts, for um, being uh, with students, or being in life differently. Right, to to allow for uh, radical feminists, radical race, radical. What have you th- uh, thinking? Um, and then, of course, I also wonder to what extent uh, a politics of withdrawal is still possible within the academic, academic context at all, um, especially since writing about withdrawal politically is so clearly at odds with the gesture of withdrawing itself, right? So if you withdraw from being in academia, you also withdraw yourself from the academic debate. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a strong correspondence between those who leave, who say you leave, who who, who state their leave, and what um, sociologist Rosalind Gill has called the, the hidden injuries of 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 um, neoliberal academia. Right. So the affective embodied experiences that are familiar to most of us: feelings of exhaustion, precarity, stress, anxiety, overload, anger, shame, competitiveness, <laughs> grief, guilt. All those feelings that that we're burdened by as academics um that are so ordinary and every day and and it's kind of you know, she says it's a stuff that doesn't end up being in a keynote or an open resignation letter or sometimes it does um but it it's more the stuff of the, the chats in the corridor and the coffee breaks um and um I think Berlin, to bring in Berlin here, what I take from her is that uh, where she says uh, to complain, right? Or to moan or just be unhappy is also a way of bargaining with, with what is there. So she she her, her theory is the theory of the meanwhile, right? So we've left the status quo, or we want to abandon the status quo, but we have no alternative political model to think with yet, or no alternative system yet. So, in the meanwhile, we have to bargain with what is there, and um, it might not. uh, So, to to complain might not um, hold a hope for change, but it it does give a response to the complaint itself. So, it it, in you know whatever hope it instills, it comes from the immediate response you get on the spot. So, I think there's a a close resemblance between those who stay and complain. and those who leave with a bang right and um yeah i
2: hope yeah. no I, I i agree with Pepita that i think people <clears throat> people leave the university because they feel that a certain kind of promise has been broken in a way i think academics tend to i mean they are nar- they are narcissists if you like in 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 bernard stiegler's sense of the word so for him like narcissism means that you it's not necessarily negative um it's it's actually quite positive and necessary, he says. You need to identify with uh with institutions, with cultural institutions, for example, whatever with your parents, etc. Uh in order to be uh in order to individuate, to become an individual in a way. So you first need to identify in order to step away from uh whatever from your from, from your parents or from your cultural environment and so on. And I think the university is is very good in in promising you. Uh, an identity, it offers you something mm-hmm. to, uh, to identify with. Um, it basically validates your, your passions, right? It validates your interest. Um, and it validates you in the end i think it basically says you know it basically tells you the university basically tells you you know go ahead you know follow your passion to be a medievalist or a lacanian or a post-humanist mm-hmm. etc it's not just some kind of like <laughs> weird hobby of yours mm-hmm. like you really are like a lacanian and we validate it mm-hmm. um and that's a very powerful um i know that's a very powerful drug in a way right so th- this is why academics uh you know invest you know liberally invest so much into their into their jobs because they basically invest themselves themselves right into uh into the job and that's why it's so hard to withdraw as well because you have to disinvest in yourself in mm-hmm. in in a way that's why they are so happy to put up with so much um you know self self precarization uh mm-hmm. in a way and of course the the, the neoliberal university um is a different beast right than the traditional university so in that sense it uses this this promise to lure you in um but it's not really interested in in you and your passions etc so as long as you take off all the boxes as long as you write your two articles mm-hmm. a year or mm-hmm. uh, or whatever right you bring in your grand money which is much more important than the two articles right then it's happy so and mm-hmm. i think this 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 discrepancy if you like between a promise a very effective like emotional almost uh, appeal and the reality of the university that's you know uh, you know one type of business among among many is what puts people off uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's very much a broken promise it's very much a broken like effective uh, promise as well
1: uh, uh, actually, I was thinking it's also interesting to turn this question around and ask you to comment, uh, James, a little bit out on your decision to withdraw from academia or not not do the st- stuff you do within academia, drop mm. operate outside of it, um, in the land of the enemy, if you like.
0: Uh, well, I mean, you know, it will come as no surprise. I mean, it, one big reason was because of all the, a, a lot of, I was interviewing a lot of PhD students, um, who were coming to the end and they had, they had their dissertation, which we would then speak mm-hmm. about. And every single one of them just said, I'm just exhausted and miserable. And I've just spent six years alone in a room, mm. um, staring at the same stuff. And I just thought, well, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be part of that. And to be honest, I don't, I can't think of a single academic, you know, I mean, uh, it's all our interview as academics, really. I can't think of a single one who said, like, I really want to be in academia. I mean, they, they you know, Mm. as you said, they all of them went in with that promise. And um, the great irony is that academia very quickly no longer actually allows the enjoyment of the subject you went in for. It's all about um, a language of what I call like a language of strategy. So it's like attack Mm. and defense, right? Mm -hmm. We go to the conference and we have to attack or defend something, or you have to Mm -hmm. go defend your thesis. So it's no longer like, We'd, we're all just in, in, we all just enjoy and are interested in this. Let's sit down and just talk about it. It's yeah. always like for some sort of almost like military um, attack on something, or there has to be these clearly defined reasons. And uh, mm-hmm. it takes away that, that actual interest in it very, very quickly. And I just didn't want to be, I mean, why would you want to be part of that? <laughs> but mm-hmm. that promise still has a, um, it's ex- still extremely potent. Like it's an unspoken mm-hmm. promise of academia, mm-hmm. as you said. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. but uh, there was a great line that you uh, this is from your own essay in the book uh, Pepita the loss of academic spirit has to be accelerated um, I think it's your section oh I apologize, yeah. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, it's all
1: right so it's, um, uh, you'll happily to, happily take up the answer how, <laughs> how,
0: <laughs> how would you accelerate it
2: well I, I think it's uh, it was a paraphrase from, uh, from the invisible committee right it's a, it's a radical French uh, sort of autonomous uh, uh, collective um and in 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 their latest book, uh Now, maintenant they they speak of um uh they 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 reflect on Agamben's notion of destitution and they try to turn it into say a practical strategy, practical political uh strategy. And one of the examples of institutions that need to be destituted that they give is uh is is the university. And basically, I mean their right the idea essentially is quite simple. I mean, their idea is that The university has been hollowed out like the rest of society, right? has been hollowed out so much that it has become a kind of like cardboard, you know, like Potemkin village. Hmm. Uh, It's still, again, it still sort of promises you, right? Whatever self-realization and then, you know, the pursuit of of disinterested knowledge, etc. But in reality, it is this sort of corporate beast uh, uh, and so on. Um, so it is already dead in a way. I think they literally say that at some point, like, you yeah, the university is already dead and we have to, um, uh, and we have to, it again, or something like that. So it's, or, you know, it's on the tipping point of being dead. We have to give it its final, uh, its final push. So for, for them, I think withdrawing from the university would be a kind of, of acceleration or a weird kind of acceleration, right? That would it, acceleration through slowing down in a way by, you know, through, through retreating, sabotaging uh etc um i'm i'm not sure if if we would necessarily agree with that so the idea that you know because it's on the verge of falling apart anyway we have to give it its 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 final push or we can just leave it behind us as if it's already uh as as if it's already dead because there's a kind of I guess in the in the text I call it a kind of melancholy uh to that as well. Um, almost in the Freudian sense, right? So for, for Freud, mourning in a sense is is still positive. Like it's a work of mourning and you in the end you end up coming to terms with, with the loss, whereas melancholy sort of in melancholy like the the lost object sort of drags you into the depths with you. And I think there is something similar going on in 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 the invisible community like because the world is already dead like we might as well just give up on it altogether but the the problem of course is um no like Freud would probably also say is that leaves you completely uh empty-handed and it sort of weirdly repeats the trauma in a way you sort of you basically you basically agree with um I don't know with 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 the neoliberal wrecking ball in a sense or rather you kind of acknowledge that it has already won uh, and that there is nothing you can do. Uh, about it. And I think that there's another form of withdrawal uh, possible, which is really, as as we said, more of an interruption and which can be literally leaving uh, academia, but, but not because you think the institution is already dead, but because you kind of mourn the untapped potential. Uh, so to speak, and it, and, and because you, you withdraw because you want to revitalize that potential. So not to accelerate the destruction in a way, but because you regret the destruction, even, even if you can't stop the actual, uh, destruction. So I think withdrawal can also be a kind of momentary interruption to regain a certain potential again, which would be actually much closer to Agamben's notion of destitution, uh, for, for example. So I'm, I think we're, we're a little bit skeptical about, know, accelerating loss or accelerating the destruction uh, of 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 institutions.
1: There's there's a beautiful piece uh, by Sarah Sharma in a volume called um, "Staying Power." <laughs> it is it's too much fantasizing about exiting. She, she argues and um, and quite convincing in our view. Yeah, and, and and she proposes care as as the opposing political force to to the exit. So there, there's another way of going about is is to care. Um, and she says it kind of carries that which, which responds to the uncompromisingly tethered nature of our human dependency and, and the contingency of life, right? And mutual compare, uh, precariousness of the human condition. Uh, and this is where she sees the, the, the task of critical theory, um, in exit times. <laughs> uh when it seems that, that you know um culturally and theoretically everyone is making an exit plan a exit plan um um from the far right to the to the far ref, left, right? They're warring fractions that are all trying to get out of the, out of the door first. <laughs> exit on the right, you know, imagined as a kind of a mechanism of uh establishing sovereignty, while exit on the left is is kind of a refusal oriented autonomy, right? So and, and she writes it's it's it would seem that 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 the book uh, it's it's the closing, it's a coda of the book. Um, on politics withdrawal is actually a book about the politics of having a staying power to take up directly the insidious nature of that which is, which cannot be withdrawn from on an indiv- individual basis. So if we withdraw, I, um, I've just read uh, Shiva's book on soil, not you know, soil, not oil. If we withdraw, it would have to be a collective decision on organizing our society differently to have uh, a different way of, um, you yeah, know, uh, what is it called? Um, a basic income, a <laughs> uh, 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 more investment in soil and not oil, and so on. It, these decisions can be made, but they can only be made if we, as a human species, decide to 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 turn our predicament. So we have to stay with the trouble somehow.
0: Mm. I mean, that that sort of has a f- uh, focus on withdrawal being a, a, it almost has to be, in some sense, a collective thing. So the question I had re- with regards to, um, you know, th- this idea of, like, individualistic frontier withdrawal has been throughout history, and it seems to be a very clear difference. So we have people like... Ted Kaczynski, I guess yeah. we could go all the way back to Thoreau, mm. though Thoreau is a mm. bit more sensible. Um, and then you have the primitivists such as John Zerzan, but you have yeah. people who basically are going back a little bit, putting down a flag, drawing a box and saying like, we should have never left this box. Mm. And that seems to be one individualistic to the point of um, sort of a real dangerous ignorance, mm-hmm. but also like, as you're saying about the staying power, it's almost as and the idea of care. It's almost like saying, "Well, yeah, it's, it's all very well and good withdrawing, but we still have to be um, humans to each other when we get there." You know, mm-hmm. if we're just it. radical for its own sake, then we're going to get there, and it's almost going to be quite chaotic. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, I mean, do do you see a danger in that that uh, very uh, boisterous form of mm-hmm. you know mm. frontier? Frontier exit.
1: Yeah, yeah I've, I've always been interested in the tipping points, right? The, the kind of moment when um, when a sense of empowerment turns into its opposite disempowerment, vice versa, when empowerment disempowerment is transformed into an instrument of empowerment, um, which which also may help to shed light on on the disconnect that arguably precedes ext- extremism one of the founding texts for me so so for me uh Cezanne kaczynski what goes wrong is not necessarily the thinking or the, the gesture but the action <laughs> that is that is that is um attached to it um the founding tracks for me that triggered my interest in the topic was um, murakami's underground it's it's a collection of of two books they were originally published i think in 2000 no, 1979 um of, uh, 90, sorry, 1997, 1998. Uh, it's comprised of interviews of the victims of the 1995 sarin attacks in the Tokyo subway, uh, as well as a number of interviews with the former members of the cult that was held accountable for the attack. And it's, it's a, it's a really interesting read. Uh, the, uh, the cult is called Aum Uh, it was led by, uh, some sort of charismatic guru called uh, Shoko Asahara. And, um, yeah, you know, um, I was int- initially intrigued by by the book of the uh, the topic of the book and Murakami's introduction, in, w- in which he reflects on the role of the media during and in the aftermath of the attack. But uh, but I soon find out that the, that the cult, <laughs> whose name I should have given a hint, I suppose, had it started in a yoga and meditation class, um, and and most of the members of the cult were recruited at, at the, uh, the 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 um, at at the Shambala or the dojo where where they where they practiced as well as at some of the top universities of the country and it's really upset me uh, while reading this I was reading it on a plane back home and I could something as harmless as a yoga practice and meditation class or something as civilized and refined as a university education lead to something that horrible and destructive it really was a terrorist attack with something uh, you know with a poisonous poisonous gas so I'm I'm a, I'm a yogi I'm Meditate. I'm also a scholar. So, could something like this also happen <laughs> to me? Right? That was just, just, and I think it's really an important question to ask, uh, or to the people in my ashram or dojo or sangha, uh, or indeed to the, uh, to at, at my university, could my students be picked up for something, uh, for something like that, or some even myself? So, the tipping points uh, is, is what interesting me, interests me here, really, really the moment where where, um, you know, the moment, the disconnect that precedes extremism, the moment that precedes uh, people going from, I have to resign from this society. And you read throughout these these interviews, and it's, you know, it's mostly the pressure of being a salaryman, the pressure, it's, it's, of course, a very different society from ours, but also it, it kind of, uh it, it runs somehow 10 years ahead of us in terms of uh, its economic organization and its neoliberalization and so on so th- their bubble burst around 95 the time of this 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 incident um uh some some of the women um, join uh, the cult because they don't want to get married uh so it's really the status quo the oppressive the oppressively perceived status quo of having to perform having to become having to uh, uh, obtain a job having to 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 um um uh, uh do as the parents please and so on um so so the disconnect that precedes extre- extremism so that's where where the, the gesture of withdrawal lies and I think that's also why it's so important to do research on the topic um and we've often Spoken about that gray zone. You mentioned it earlier uh, as well. So we're where kind of progressive thinking or or disconnective thinking um, that is generally more left leftist um, aligns with uh, radical right ideas of disengagement, and it's really scary and also really important.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I also think that um, so that of the the moment where. You know, withdrawal sort of tips over into, into extremism is often, and I, I think we definitely see that with, with, with Kaczynski. We also read with, uh, with, with mm-hmm. students or with Zurzan is a kind of fantasy of completeness or wholeness. You, you talked about like mm-hmm. putting things back in the box, and I think with with Kazinski and, and, and Zertsen, the idea is that well, if only we could go back to being hunter gatherers in a sense, then everything would be okay. <laughs> no. So if only we could go back to like the infancy of humanity or our personal infancy in in a way, mm-hmm. and then everything will be like whole and innocent again. But I don't think that withdrawal in that sense is a return. So I I, I don't think it's that withdrawal necessarily entails um uh, nostalgia or melancholy there can be an aspect of course of nostalgia i mean you know lots of people including ourselves were nostalgic of our pre-internet uh, you know brains <laughs> and and cells uh, etc but i think that that kind of nostalgia is only a sort of like driver behind the withdrawal it's not the nostalgia in a sense of a fantasy of wanting to reestablish that sort of pre-internet age or uh, whatever, a prior stage of of human or personal uh, development. Yeah, I, I think that's, and that again has to do, I think also with this idea of a broken promise. Like you want to go back to the, the world before the promise or the world that was, you know, the world that was promised. But of course that, um, you know, as, as, you know, whatever thinkers like Freud or, or Derrida or whatever will teach you, like there is no such thing as a return. Like you never return to the original Mm -hmm. thing ever. Um, so yeah, I think it's important to, to, but but again, I think, as Pepita said, it, it is part of withdrawal, right? So it's not that, you know, uh, Kaczynski or, you know, as you said in a sort of slightly sensible way, someone like Zurgsson or Thoreau are anomalies when it comes to withdrawal. There is always this tendency. I think there's always this fantasy, yeah. Or the possibility of this fantasy of completeness or wholeness or authenticity mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in in withdrawal, and that that's also why this gray zone is so interesting. So you you know once you engage in withdrawal or even fantasize right about withdrawal, mm-hmm. you can either end up in um, you know uh, a, a, a far right anarchist collective uh, sorry far <laughs> anarchist uh, collective. Or you can become a complete Heideggerian, uh, you know, and re- retreat into the black forest or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think both both are possible. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I, I want to just give you both the opportunity to, to uh, you know uh, add in anything key about the book that um, you you, you want to make sure we we get in. If there's any elements of withdrawal that you think are um, yeah extremely important to to emphasise that we've that we've so far missed.
1: I think, uh, the temporal aspect and perhaps the apathy one. I think, I think those are, all, you know, um, I, I, you know, I often the, the, the withdrawal is sort of in terms of, 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 of place, right? Uh, the cabin to withdraw into the forest and back, back to the land and so on. Um, but there's, there's, there's for me very much, um, you know, there's, 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 um, it's rarely thought of in temporal terms, but for me it's very much about stopping, right? About learning to re engage with the here and now, you know, this body, this moment. Um it time has somehow become equated with Productivity with value—you know, every minute counts. <laughs> right. So, so at least from an economic perspective, you know, the quantity is more important than how it's spent, and more important than the quality of how it is spent. The mechanical is more important than the mindful. So, I, I wanted to bring in Taganatan here. <laughs> it's got a brief passage in the heart of the Buddha's teaching where he says we uh, kind of relays the story of a film. Yeah. story. He says a famous story in Zen circles about a man and his horse. Um, the horse is galloping quickly, he writes, and uh, it appears that the man in the horse is going somewhere important. Another man standing alongside the road shouts, hey, where are you going? And the first man replies, I don't know, ask the horse. <laughs> <laughs> and from there he kind of says, uh, yeah, this is basically our story. We're riding a horse, we don't know where we're going and we can't stop. And and he says, yeah, the horse is the habit energy that's very much instilled by current lived econo- economic reality. Um, and we basically uh, have to find ways to stop the horse, stop our horse, and and reclaim our liberty. <laughs> um, yeah, I really like that story. Yeah,
2: no, I agree, and I think that that's why the the image of the cabin is also so so interesting and so powerful. There's a little book by a French literary theorist called Marielle Marseille. I'm not sure if it has been translated, but in French, it's called No Cabit, Our Cabins, and she basically explains that. You know, the, the cabin is not a fortress. It's not a citadel. So it's not something that's built to last in a way. It's also something that we have to build uh, ourselves. So there, in that sense, there is something very creative about withdrawal. So it's not that there is a ready-made place somewhere or a ready-made future somewhere in a sense that we can withdraw into. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that sense, it is more of a, of, of, of a line of flight. I mean, maybe not in this sort of grandiose way that, that Deleuze and, and Guattari envision it. Uh, but but there is something very creative in that sense. I think about uh, about about withdrawing. Mm-hmm. And so, if if there is a if there is a sense futurity of the future in withdrawal, again, I think it's more in in the sense of a potential
1: yeah, uh, of a potential
2: it. to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And not know, knowing what the future will bring, even, you know, that's, I think you, at some point we had a conversation about, you know, what does it mean to, to, to resign? It's, it's you don't, re, often you don't resign from university because you have another job, right? It's, hmm. it's, you don't know where you're headed. And that's part of the withdrawal. Um, Yeah. Well,
2: yeah.
0: one thing I wonder as well, I mean, just talk, speaking of cabins, I mean, if you read mm-hmm. the infamous stories about cabins, I mean, Thoreau, he would go home for dinner, Heidegger mm-hmm. infam- infamously would, you know, he he had this whole romantic thing, but then he would go down the pub and watch the football, right? Yeah. So the, the 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 dialogue between the thing that they withdrew from, um, either they retained it, or in Kaczynski's case, it was unavoidable. And I think it seems like if you, if you were to exit the academy, for instance, it's almost like you have to sleep with one eye open for the rest of your life to mm-hmm. just keep an eye on what the academy is doing. Like, is it encroaching in? I, I wonder if you guys feel the same, same way about that, that it's almost like a, the <laughs> once you've withdrawn, it's a, this sort of uh, a little bit of suspicion from then onwards.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. Um- I don't, maybe I'm slightly more optimistic <laughs> <laughs> because I do, I do, I do think that uh, we've, we've been thinking a little bit about maybe a follow up, mm-hmm. you know, of the book and, and, and one possible topic that came up was this new emerging sort of para, uh, academic, uh, sphere. So whether that is you know, on, on, online or, you know, uh, you know popular universities mm-hmm, that sort of mm-hmm. pop up everywhere now in, in, in Europe. I, I do think there is a possibility of there, there being a network of, of, Different kinds of institutions, maybe even temporary uh, institutions that do not necessarily, as you said, you know, uh, feel the need to sleep with one eye open and to (laughs) Mm -hmm. to have one eye on the, on the, on the academy, on the academy. I I do think that there is, uh, maybe it's the old, I don't know, like autonomous dream of the, of the seventies, right? You, you can have, you know, your free radios and your free universities. Uh, et I, I, I think you do see that something similar emerges, if only because there is a gigantic overproduction, right, of highly educated young people that they, they mm-hmm. you know, they don't they simply don't fit in the, in the university anymore. Uh, and, and they remain, you know, interested and open-minded. Um, so they, they need outlets for their, you know, intellectual production. Um, so I'm, 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 in that sense, I'm not, I'm not that pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, because as, as we said many times, right, in, in in this conversation, that for a lot of academics, the current situation is simply not, is is untenable, right? Because it, it no longer, uh, it no longer aligns with, again, no, with, Mm -hmm. with, with the promise they were made and with uh, the way that they view themselves or the way that they view Mm -hmm. their, their academic uh, activities. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, is, is there anything you'd like to add about the book that you feel now that we've missed um obviously you can get the book i imagine from roman and littlefield's website and also all online bookstores um Mm -hmm. so hopefully this follow-up will will happen i'd be extremely intrigued to to read about it but yeah is there anything you'd like to to add in just here at the end
2: i think we covered a lot i mean i think the two the, the two things that um sort of when looking back at the at the project that emerged uh uh for us um I, I think we're so on the one end, so this this, this para-academic uh, sphere that's uh, that, that's emerging, that is a form of withdrawal, successful withdrawal, even if you, if you like. And the other thing, yeah, is this so-called gray zone. I think this the the fact that there is um, not really a middle ground, but I think like a new I don't know nebula, political nebula that's that's emerging, that is neither. I think that can neither be uh, described in sort of traditional leftist or traditional. Uh, you know, conservative or right-wing um, uh, terms, and that is also often also quite volatile in a way. So a lot of the thinkers that emerge in this zone uh, seem to go in many different directions, um, and and often you know we'll hark back to to similar sources of inspiration, but then use them in radically uh, different ways. I think that's that that's very interesting. And what I also maybe I mean what what was unremarkable when we were teaching the class on on withdrawal is that a lot of the students at at the start of the class said well we're taking this class because we're so sick of politics Um, because everything has become so political uh that that we we are looking for a way of thinking or theories that can help us to shed like a different light on things that is not like extremely politicized in 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 a certain way and as we said like one of them more, I don't know, like conceptual aspects of of withdrawal is that it is a non-confrontational form of mm-hmm. of politics. It's a kind of politics that doesn't necessarily speak to engage, as in you know, Agamben's inoperativity or whatever you know, Bartleby's refusal, etc. And I think mm-hmm. that's also important. Also the, the 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 fact that it it allows for a way of thinking that doesn't turn everything into this sort of oppositional politics and mm-hmm. it also maybe reminds us right that politics isn't always politics like that, that we cannot we also engage in politics mm-hmm. for whatever you know mental health reasons or subjective reasons or religious reasons etc there's also a lot of like you know religion culture art even in politics uh, itself and I think that was one of the sort of maybe unintended uh, things that that came out of, of reflecting on the book and the issue of withdrawal
1: yeah, and I think what I take from the class was actually that there was a lot of confusion amongst the students—a productive confusion—on uh, on the differentiation between, let's say, apathy, right, an inability to act upon one's uh, disengagement, uh, but also on withdrawal as as um, as gesture, where they kept asking, you know, but does it have to be politics? And what they what they confused, I think, and what we talked ended up talking about was. The framing of withdrawal as a form of activism or or direct action, and I think that completely misses misses the point, right? Uh, um, uh, Apathy to me is very much a a, a way of coping with with the meanwhile, as is withdrawal. It doesn't have to, you know. You really have to reframe how you think of what politics does to really get out of the action reaction way of thinking about uh, a political gesture.
2: yeah, you, you could even say that, you know, to continue in this way, that, that is a form of apathy. Whereas yeah. withdrawal is often a kind of, I don't know, like visceral reaction, right? So it's a reaction to, yeah, to, to oversaturation, you know, to, mm-hmm. to being on the brink of burning out, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. I think they withdraw because people, either they're long past apathy in a way or they refuse to become uh apathic yep. right but they've reached this this sort of the, the tipping point and they feel that they have no no other choice than to than to leave than to and to opt out in in one way or another
0: so there is hope basically
2: yeah
0: there's hope. <laughs> there you go i wanted to i wanted to end on a, a hopeful note um Good but
2: at least there's the fantasy of
0: hope (laughs) i'll cut that bit out no another promise (laughs) but um yeah thank you both very much for for coming on it's been a great conversation
1: thanks james thanks a lot thanks